0: What's up everybody and welcome to episode 69 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host Brad Rowland, and will be later joined... On today's podcast by Matt Powers of Talking Chats, break down the 2017 MLB draft, or at least the first couple of rounds of that from a Braves perspective. But we're coming to you live on this Tuesday afternoon. Uh, I know some odd timing for the podcast this week, as we normally record on Sunday nights, but there was seemed to be no point in recording on Sunday night when the draft was coming the following day. So a midweek ish episode here featuring Matt. But before we get to Matt, we're going we're to break down some uh, storylines that, tra- that have taken place over the last eight or nine days before we last have the podcast from a major league perspective. And uh, uh, hit a mailbag question as well at the end before we get to Matt. So bear with me on a what amounts to a solo show for most of this thing. But Matt is coming. I promise you won't be able to... Uh, you'll be able, you, you will be able to escape my voice at some point in this podcast. Um, so with that said, it is Tuesday. And there was a wild win for the Braves on Monday night. Uh, Mike Fultonavich was dreadful in his... Uh, and his performance—he uh, allowed eight earned runs against the Washington Nationals—put the uh, put the Braves in a pretty big hole early on in this game. But uh, as the draft was taking place, uh, I was actually on uh, on major league duty. I was the one person on the website, sort of following things along uh, on the uh, recap side of things. And that was a fun game to watch and follow, even in the midst of the NBA Finals as well. Um, the uh, star of the Braves, as you could tell, I'm in NBA mode still. Uh, the Braves came back and uh, won the game, 11 to 10. Uh, the bullpen was very, very good, actually, outside of a near implosion from Jim Johnson in the ninth inning. But uh, nice to see the Braves get back in the win column just because of the fact that over the weekend, uh, things did not go well uh, at Head Trust Park with three losses over a two-day span. So nice to see a win on Monday. Uh, Matt Adams was sort of the offensive star of that game, hitting two home runs. He continues to absolutely rake for the Braves. He has a slugging percentage of 6.07. That is not a misprint, 6.07. In 96 play appearances since joining the Braves uh, midseason uh, with the trade from the Cardinals. As eight home runs over that time period. He's been tremendous and uh, sort of uh, a lot of debates as to whether what his role is going to be once Freddie Freeman returns. But uh, for now, uh, he'll either be a great trade chip or a fantastic bench bat that can also play some corner outfield in a pitch. So uh, Matt, Matt Adams has been killing it. Uh, elsewhere, Nick Markakis is heating up uh, after I first uh, sort of reverse jinxed him last week. My I did a column uh, in the middle of last week talking about just how bad um, Marquegas' power numbers were and how basically uh, it's, it's been a, a, a disturbing trend for some time with Marquegas uh, on queue He uh, was fantastic the same night that I wrote that and had a home run last night. has been much, much better since then, so good to see him playing better because the Braves do need that extra power. With Freeman out of the lineup, even with, with as good as Adams has been, Matt Kipp has trailed off a little bit, so any any power that the Braves get unearthed is a good thing right now, and Marquegas has been better in the recent past. Um, also, since last time we spoke on the podcast, Sean Newcomb made his first start as a major leaguer. Uh, he actually appears to be in rotation moving forward as a result of it. Uh, you know, six, six and a third innings, four hits, one er- one unearned run, seven strikeouts, in for me, and most importantly, only two walks. Uh, he was fantastic in that start last week. Um, his breaking stuff was basically unhittable. Uh, that was sort of the feedback that we were getting after the game. And even even as we watched it during the game, it was pretty clear how good Newcomb's stuff was in that, in that start. And that was enough to earn him another start. Even if he had just been average, at least for me, he would have gotten an, a longer leash because if you're going to bring up Sean Newcomb now, there's really no reason to bring him up as a spot start guy. Um, that's territory that should be reserved for Matt Whistler uh, that, and that kind of type of player at this point in time. Newcomb's ceiling is, of course, much, much higher than those guys. So if you're going to bring him up and uh, begin his Service time clock. Go ahead and get him going, uh, and have him uh, sort of be in the rotation for the for the foreseeable future. Uh, Bartolo Colon is still a consideration, but for me. Uh, you know, I'm on record with the big picture concerns about control with um, with Newcomb. We talked about that a lot, a lot last week after he had been um, sort of announced as, as one of the pitchers for the doubleheader, at least on Twitter, but uh, he was dialed in, clearly in that first start. That provides some hope for some people that believe that focus issues have been his biggest concern. Um, for me, I, w- I will not claim to know enough about Newcomb's uh, makeup at this point in time to tell you whether that's true or not. I just see the numbers more than anything and the limited exposure that I've seen to him pitching. No one can live with a 5 plus per 9 walk rate in the in the uh, major leagues, and Newcomb has been that bad and Gwinnett. But if if it's a lot of that, it can be traced to sort of focus issues, and maybe he'll be more dialed in at the major league level. That's something that makes some sense to me. I'm not sure I buy it necessarily, but the early returns are good, and he was very, very good in that first start. Uh, Just for the record, while we're here, uh, Newcomb is uh, scheduled to pitch on Friday at home against the miami Marlins. so we'll see how that goes. But uh, Miami's not, not the worst team to be facing right now as well, so we'll see if he looks as good or at least nearly as good in that second start. Uh, Bartolo Colon, as I mentioned, is on the DL with a quote-unquote left oblique strain. Um, no one believes that, to be honest. I mean, there was some there was some murmurs that um, Colon had actually been injured, but uh, a lot of this felt like a a dump to the DL to sort of get things uh, settled settled down with Bartolo, just because he has not been very good this season. That's the uh, sort of the kind way to put it. He was god awful in his final start last Monday. He now has a 7.78 ERA with a 5.09 FIP on the season. Might be getting a little bit unlucky, obviously, with you based on that on the numbers but he really can't walk guys at all uh to succeed you know he's walking about two and a half guys per nine innings which is which is just fine and honestly pretty good for most people but with the way the cologne pitches he just can't walk anybody and uh that's one of the issues as well as just kind of being eminently hittable at the age of 44. we'll see what kind of role he comes back in it seems to be whispers that he could be back in the next week or two um, Cologne, I would probably start in the uh, in the bullpen. To be honest with you, I think Ari Dickey has looked better in recent days, so no reason to uh, panic there. And uh, you know, taking a spot away from Sean Newcomb is not really an option in my opinion right now. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but you know, if Cologne comes, comes off the DL and is ready to go, uh, his role will be very very interesting for the Braves. Uh, just a couple a couple more notes here. Uh, Eric Flaherty is on the DL now, uh, Jason Hirsch has been recalled to take his spot. Uh, O'Flaherty is bad. There's no way around it at this point in time. Uh, I 7.85 ERA in 18 in a third innings and 22 appearances. This season has a 5.78 FIP. Um, over his last 106 Major League appearances, about 77 innings, he has a 7.60 ERA over three seasons. A lot of that is uh, injury-related. He was not a full-time participant in the three seasons, but still it's kind of amazing that he even has a job given that track record over a three-year period And sort of a not, not insufficient sample, not a huge sample either. You know, only 77 innings is not too much to speak of, but 106 appearances is not nothing, and uh, he's bad at this point in time. I think we kind of all knew that coming in, but the uh, the strong spring uh, apparently tricked the Braves, and uh, I'll be interested to see if he, ever, if he ever comes back, to be honest, to join the bullpen because he's been that bad this season. You know, his numbers against lefties are not quite as bad. There's uh, at least an argument to be made that he could function as a pure left handed specialist, but until that's actually his role, um, not a whole lot to talk about. I kind of like Jason Hirsch for the record, uh, just to get that on record here. His numbers are pretty good. Has a, has a sneaky good arm, of course, a, uh, a top, top top flat pedigree as a former top draft pick. Um, not a huge prospect at this point in time, given that he's, I believe, he's, he's already 25 years old, but could be an, an, an intriguing bullpen arm, if nothing else. Um, lastly, in terms of news, Sean Rodriguez uh, resumed baseball activities this week and could return uh, this season, according to Brian Snicker, who was quoted as saying that it's possible at least that he could be returning given the timetable of him resuming activities uh, as earlier, I guess earlier than than they probably would have thought. Um, one of the most overlooked things this season with how bad the bench has been, at least at least, was early on, and it really kind of continues to be, is the absence of Rodriguez, who was supposed to be sort of the ace bench player for the Braves. It was given a two-year deal, almost $12 million total. Not huge money, but uh, they were banking on having Sean Rodriguez this season. That would be really, really nice to have him around. Um, that's one thing that uh, sort of makes us worth keeping an eye on a little bit closely. You know, this year probably doesn't matter in terms of him coming back in uh, September or something like that. But uh, he is signed for next year at a uh, sort of a, you know, not not insufficient number, about about $5.5, 6000000 million. And uh, that's real money. He'll be on the roster, um, you know, unless something crazy happens or something gets traded, something like that with Rodriguez. But I've always kind of liked his profile. I don't really buy the bat from last year, but uh, he'll be an an interesting sort of utility guy moving forward. He can play play a few places, have some pop, and we'll see what happens there. But something to uh, be encouraged by in terms of uh, his rehabilitation from the injury. Um... Last thing to kit, to before we get to Matt Powers, this is going to be a mailback question from Daniel Mack. Uh, he says, as we turn the page from the draft, which has not quite happened yet, by the way, as we record this on Tuesday, but as we look towards turning the page from the draft, uh, what players on the Braves roster will be traded by the deadline? I say, he said, this is him talking, he says he wants to move Matt Kemp, Jim Johnson, Arroyo Vizcaino, Tyler Flowers, Adonis Garcia, and Brandon Phillips. Um... Oh, and, and Jaime Garcia, I should say, as well. Um, and anyway, it's, it's an interesting topic. Uh, we, we talked about this uh, sort of all the time, but because it's just me on the podcast, I wanted to sort of fire off my current takes on all these guys quickly. I'm on record as kind of just saying on the overall sense that there's basically nobody on this team that I wouldn't trade for the right price outside of, you know, Freddie Freeman's, I guess, off-limits at this point, obviously. Um, and David Swanson's at least close. I know, I'm sure you can envision a scenario where a team overpaid for him, and you might want to do that. But I think the Braves would make him basically untouchable at this point. But aside from those guys, um, pretty easily could trade anybody on the roster for the right price. Uh, Matt Kemp though is a, is a tough one because of the big salary and the fact that he has been playing well. But I don't think you're going to get a, uh, really any value for Kemp at all given the given the salary and the price. It's uh, people seem to, to have forgotten this, but the Braves were able to get him for basically nothing because of the fact that um, the, the deal is not good on the surface. His contract is not good. One, you know, the Braves, the Braves have some help with that, but um, they were able to flip Hector Oliveira, essentially for Matt Kemp, and that's. Uh, a Steal obviously because uh, Kemp is at least playing, he's uh, overpaid but is a functional, uh, positive offensive player, a bad defensive player, but still a guy who can bring you some value. Um, I'm not, I think he has more value to the Braves than he's going to be able to get in a trade, but I could be wrong on that, just some sort of my take at this point. As far as the bullpen guys are concerned, Jim Johnson uh, is uh, interesting because he's uh, been very, very good in, in, in his brave stint but has a $5 billion price tag next year um, that could be actually really a value in getting more in, for him in trade, being that he's cost-controlled. Um, relievers are volatile. I think Johnson's a little bit more safer than uh, most people that are in the bullpen, but if you can get a huge offer for him, then you would take it. And Vizcaino's the guy um, that's uh, always been too volatile for my taste, so if you can get anything of value for him, go ahead and do that, I would say. Uh, Tyler Flowers has been incredible this season. Has a WRC plus of 149 at this moment, as we sit here in uh, mid June, which is pretty crazy. A 442 on base percentage. Uh, his BABIP is still very, very high, so I wouldn't necessarily buy the batting average and the on base percentage. But uh, there's been something, something of a light coming on for Flowers. He's definitely been one of the top, you know, 10 or 15 catchers in the league um, since even joining the Braves, um, you know, before last season. So Flowers has been a revelation. Uh, I do think that if you could sell that high on him, if somebody actually buys this sort of renaissance as having him being a near all-star level player, um, maybe you could sell him at that price. Um, but if not, he has a very, very cheap option, a $4 million club option for next year. And that actually, you know, would actually add value in a trade, but also adds value to the Braves and that he could be a stopgap again next year, given how well he's played. That's a a spot where Flowers is not the sexiest name in the world, but he is definitely a starting caliber catcher uh, with this current level of play. And even even when he regresses, I should say, because he's going to regress, he'll still be an above average catcher based on the, the league market as it is right now. Um, as far as the two Garcias, Jaime has been very, very good lately. Could fetch a hole in a trade. Uh, he's, a, he's sort of the guy who I thought would be able to do that if he stayed healthy. No signs of injury stuff for him, and he's sort of turned the corner. Not a high-end guy, but with the way that uh, you know some teams might be looking for pitching help that are contenders, he could fetch a real hole, and uh, the Braves I think would be definitely up their alley to flip him for prospects, considering the Braves are probably not going to be in the race uh, by the time July rolls around, or at least mid to late July as we get near the trade deadline right now. You know, As far as the division's concerned, nobody's pulling away outside of the Nationals for second place, but uh, if you look at the wild card standings, it's, it's a much bleaker picture, and uh, if the Braves can have that comfort in the fact that they're probably quote-unquote out of it, they could look to sell on guys like Garcia, even though he's been a vital part of the rotation to this point in time. Uh, last but not least, Brandon Phillips has been a league average hitter, I would say, this season. you know, ninety, I believe it's like 97, 98, WRC+, which is just fine. His defensive numbers are actually better than they were last year. He's been pretty good defensively and obviously has a long track record of, be- track record of being good defensively, although that slipped a little bit in his age. Um, he's basically the perfect guy to trade, I would say, because he's basically making no money this season in terms of what the club would have to pay to acquire him. And uh, I can't imagine he will be back next year, given the way that uh, this team is looking for a future, um, you know, sort of looking towards the future. You know, Phillips has been a, a revelation, but I can't imagine like paying him real money next year to fill up a roster spot. So if you can get anything of value for him, go ahead and do that. Um, even if it's not Ozzy Alves, you could play Camargo at second base. You can call Jace Peterson up and sort of plug that gap. Uh, it's not to say that you give Phyllis away for absolutely nothing because he has been useful this year, but uh, if you can get anything of real value, even like a B-plus prospect, go ahead and do that for Brandon Phyllis because he's probably not going to be a part of the long-term plans given his age and the position, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so with that said, the uh, Braves are back in action tonight as I record this Tuesday night with R.A. Dickey against Joe Ross. I apologize for the midweek podcast, but uh, here we are. Um, the plan is to do another, another show on Sunday as normally scheduled. I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be having to take a couple of weeks off at various times during the summer Um, due to some travel constraints but uh, we'll we'll kind of cross that bridge when we get there and until then we'll be here every week so with that said uh, Matt Powers is going to join the program right now and we'll sign off from there so here's Matt and I talking about the MLB draft Matt thanks for coming uh, and joining me today man what's going on not much just watching the draft right now took the day off of
1: work to just sit around and watch the newest Braves join the organization how about
0: you uh, yeah, about the same. Uh, I, uh, I'm not quite as invested in the draft as you are because this is the, this is your thing, which is why you're here, and I'm going to defer to you for the most part. But as as of the time of this recording on Tuesday afternoon, the Braves have made five picks um, in in the draft. Of course, two on Monday, and now uh, three so far today on Tuesday. We can just run down them here, if that's all right with you. Uh, the most the most recent pick was uh, Mount Olive left-hander. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman in the fifth round. Do you have any hot takes on Bruce Zimmerman? Because this is a name I've never heard before in my life. So there you go.
1: (laughs) He is probably the first guy drafted that I don't know that much about. I'm looking at his stat line. And of course, this is against very, very weak competition. It's very impressive. He's got uh, 129 strikeouts in 99 innings. He was their Friday starter. He throws a fastball up to 92 from the left side with an average curve and change. He's going to get a chance to start maybe but he's pure senior sign he was drafted just because the money is run out and they're just trying to make the top 3 guys work money wise
0: yeah, that, that was my that was my big feeling when I saw the fourth round pick, which we, which we get into here with uh, with Troy Bacon, because uh, uh, one thing that was notable, at least something that I could even dig up, is that he was not among Baseball America's top 500 draft picks uh, in terms of prospects. Uh, that's not the end-all be-all by any means, but a JUCO right-hander uh, in the fourth round. What did you think of that? Was, was your first feeling that it was a, a cost-saver, or is this a guy that you think is very interesting?
1: A little bit of both. He's definitely a cost-saver for sure. But he's more, much more interesting than Zimmerman. He won't come at the same kind of discount Zimmerman is, but he had 59 strikeouts and in 44 innings, of course, against Juco competition. It wasn't my favorite Juco pure reliever arm. Uh, Donnie Diaz and a couple of the Alabama Juco arms were definitely higher up as pure relievers for me, but this is a kid that throws 99 and can get it up to 100 if he really tried to put it all in. But profiles as a middle reliever and should move fairly quick.
0: Yeah, and I I feel like this is a good place to ask you this question in general. When people say that, I'm, uh, of course, a novice draft person. When people say move quickly in terms of these kind of arms, especially in relievers, how quick are you talking? Is that like a a year or two from now? Is that uh, the the rare example when you're talking about guys who could be up in a few months? Like how fast in general would, would you say that that actually means when you're saying that a guy can move quickly?
1: Probably a year or two, most likely, as a reliever. Relievers usually tend to move the fastest, I don't think, with his level of competition. Now, if we're talking about a guy from the SEC, he could possibly be up this year because he's faced a high level of competition already. But for a Juco guy, probably a year or two.
0: That makes sense. And I, I mean, a lot of people remember, I know I remember Joey Devine being up within months of him being uh, drafted by the Braves. That that that, I did, that course did not go so well, but uh, that was the type of guy that they knew they were going to be getting there. Uh, we can get into these top three guys. Um, num- at, num- at number 80 overall, is it Freddie, is it Tarnock? Is that the yes. right pronunciation? Okay, cool. Uh, a prep right-hander, a very intriguing guy, apparently a very, very late riser and sort of a a, a guy who, could, who was potentially looked at as a position player by some people, but it looks like he's going to be a pitcher. Is that right?
1: Yep, yeah, he was a shortstop all throughout, up until his junior year. He got about 25 innings or so as a junior in high school. Then he really kind of took off as a pitcher last year over the summer when he was getting scouted a little bit more. And then he settled into more of a regular pitching role this year. I believe if he was going to go to the University of Tampa Division Two, it was going to be as a two-way player to play shortstop. I think he might actually... Prefer shortstop, but his future is definitely on the mound. He's an athletic, projectable, with a good frame, and he already throws up to 97, some reports of 98. I haven't really been able to verify anything higher than 97 myself, but with the fastball, it's just impressive at this point to imagine what he can become. I've seen the Jacob DeGrom. Comparison already dropped on them, and I've written up the full scouting report on Talking Chop.
0: For sure. Lots of video in there. Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely go look at that. I've already I sort of breezed through that before we started recording here because uh, I, I definitely trust your analysis. It's a it's a name that people weren't expecting necessarily from what the reaction felt like and people not necessarily ranking him as high as the Braves are taking him here. But it's important to note that uh, you know baseball, unlike uh, basketball and football, you see a lot of uh, differentiation. Is that is that probably what you would say is accurate? Because I think if if somebody was drafted number eighty in the NFL draft that wasn't supposed to go uh, in that range, you might see a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more surprised but in baseball it doesn't really go quite that uh quite that accurately. Is that is that a fair statement?
1: Yeah, baseball's a little weird because you have the JUCO guys, the Division Two, the Division Three guys, then all these small high schools and they're going up against small competition in some states. It's plus the seasons are really basically ongoing right up until and including on draft day, as there were even some college games going on yesterday.
0: For sure. I just think I think for the audience that are like more like in my end of just kind of, you know, I'm a fan of the big league club. But I know a lot of the audience on this podcast, uh, you know, Road to Atlanta is definitely the deeper uh, dive stuff on prospects. But for for us, I think it's always important to sort of break things down in a simple manner. But anyway, uh, we can get in these top two guys. Uh, Drew Waters was the number 41 overall pick. A prep outfielder from a local product from Etowah in, uh, in Woodstock was a UGA commitment a switch hitter. It looks like he's a pretty toolsy guy. What do you think about Drew Waters?
1: I love Waters. He's got 5-12 potential. I think he's going to be able to hit for some average. He's going to hit for some power. He's going to be able to run well, play very strong defense, has a huge arm. I mean, most likely can stick in center field. If he can't stick in center field, he's going to be a very good right fielder defensively. He's going to be probably middle of the order to slightly under middle of the order number six type of bat.
0: Is that what you would a, worry, is that what you would worry about him in general? Was is, is the is, is the bat the most worrisome? I mean, I think most of the time it's whether you can hit or not is kind of what it comes down to. But if there's one thing you had to worry about with Powers, is is it probably the bat or is it something else?
1: Probably the hit tool on the bat. Yeah, I mean, I'm not overly worried about that. He has shown very well against good competition. He seems to be a kid that works hard, a kid that wants to succeed. So. I wouldn't be as worried about his hit tool with the swing and miss as I would about some others. There's always going to be swing and miss with his bat, so the strikeouts are always going to be there. But I do expect him to be able to overcome that.
0: That makes sense completely. Um, By the way, as we're uh, talking here, Mark Bowman of MLB.com as uh, uh, just actually tweeted that, uh, that 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 people can conservatively be conservatively project, I should say uh, that Wright and water should account for about three quarters of the Braves bonus pool, which is about ten million dollars. Does that sound about right to you? Is that a surprising number? I think people might be surprised at just how much of the total pool is accounted for by these top two guys. Not at all, because the Wright
1: bonus slot was about five point seven million. The Waters bonus slot was about one point six. So right there is 7.3 yep. without going over slot.
0: Which makes perfect sense. I just thought that was uh, sort of topical because that was something that Mark Bowman said. And I think people would be surprised. But that's kind of, as you said, sort of the run of the will and how you do business there. and That's how you can save money later so you can afford to pay these guys what they need to get paid. Um, last but not least, uh, Kyle Wright, of course, is the big is the big ticket guy here. Number five overall pick from Vanderbilt. Um, first, before we get into Kyle Wright, is there anything that you would have rather the Braves done in that spot? Because I guess at the top of the draft, it becomes, uh, obviously, you have a lot more guys to choose from. So is there something that you would have projected uh, as a better fit? I know a lot of the Talking shop staff, sort of the consensus was that Wright was one of the best case scenarios. Were you in line with that as well?
1: Yeah, Wright, I had number two on my own board going in. The only guy he was behind, of course, was Hunter Green, who was never going to be a Brave. He was never going to get down to number five. So Wright was always best case scenario, just... A very polished, very projectable pitcher who's really done well against top competition. He's got everything that's needed to be a number two starter in a couple of years. Could even be more than that. And at the very worst, he should be at least a number four starter.
0: So, uh, people said this, and I'm wondering if you agree. Like, there's something to, uh, uh, you know, you, you mentioned projectable and sort of a, maybe a fast riser. You know, Vanderbilt's had some guys move quickly in the past, even go, even going back with the Braves organization with Mike Miner. Is he a guy that you could see move quicker than most people might expect just because, of course, he is a polished college guy?
1: A little bit faster than some of the other college pitchers, but he's still going to be a guy that probably needs about two years. I expect sometime around draft day of 2019 to be – around the time when he makes his debut. And I think even if he's ready a little bit before that, they might hold him off just because of service time and concerns like that.
0: Oh, for sure. That makes sense. And he, he's always 21 years old. He'll be 22 in October. So, not an old guy, even by the college standards, so uh, plenty of uh, projection in there. Um, you mentioned him as a number two starter, sort of in your mind. I think people might be surprised to hear, at least casual fans, again that um, you know if you take a guy this high, that you might not be putting the number one label on him. But you know, sort of talk about that as, m- as much as you possibly can. Just kind of the, uh, the, the the trade-off that you're doing there by having the more projectable guy with a college pitcher versus a, maybe a, maybe a higher upside guy from the high school ranks.
1: Well, it's not even that he can't be a number one. It's that the number one is probably the ultimate upside where he'd have to put everything together to reach that point. And that's just not like – it's not because of him. It's just an in-general thing where you're not going to expect a player to put everything together and reach the best-case scenario. But he's got that polish. He's kind of – in a way, he's like Ian Anderson last year against guys like A.J. Puck and Riley Pint. It's that he's the best combination of upside along with the probability of reaching that upside. So he's a potential number two starter. He's most likely going to be a number two, number three starter, which Anderson last year was probably number two, number three starter, who's probably going to be that. While someone like a puck or pint last year, they had that number one starter ultimate upside, but they were also. Significantly lower on their probability of reaching that, and that's kind of what Wright is.
0: Yeah, that's something I actually like personally, but I think people might be split on that, and that makes sense. But uh, that's the kind of guy that I uh, sort of enjoy when you're investing and this kind. Of, I mean, listen, everybody's everybody's risky in the MLB draft, but at the same time, like this is a guy who seems to be safer and uh, one of the few guys that I actually had a pretty decent working knowledge of. Is there before we get I'll probably let you get out of here? Is there one thing about Wright's you know sort of profile that you really like more than anything else?
1: That he's done it against the best competition in the country, in the SEC. He struggled this year, and it wasn't something that's specific to him. It's something that a lot of players in their draft year will do. They know I'm going to be a high draft pick in a couple months, and everyone's here to look at me, so I'm just going to go out and try as hard as I can, which leads to overthrowing, which he was doing. He was running it up to 97, which is the top end of his velocity quite regularly. And it was leading to him being a little bit more hittable, giving up a couple more walks than you'd like to see, and he was struggling because of that. But then he started to slow it down and realize that he could take something off. His command improved in the second half, and he just dominated after that point. So he made the adjustments on his own, probably with a little help from the coaching staff, and really looked like a guy that was worthy of that number one pick for the longest time.
0: Sounds like you're a pretty big fan of what the Braves did. Is that, is that accurate? Like, how do you feel about the overall haul? I mean, obviously, it's still early. It's still the five rounds, but for the most part, the guys that we all kind of know are going to be off the board at this point. So are you, are you pretty happy with what with what the Braves did in their first five picks?
1: I'm very happy with it. Right, definitely would have taken him over anyone else at that point. Waters had a couple other guys slightly ahead of him, but he was definitely a guy I had at 38 on my own board, which, of course, is higher than 41, so you'd take that as a win every day and then Tarnock I had him a little lower than where the Braves took him but I didn't have quite as much information as I had hoped since he's still so new to pitching but with what I did see and I recognized that he had upside along with what I've seen after the fact I'm definitely comfortable with that pick as well the other picks they're more about making the first three guys able to be signable
0: yeah, and that makes perfect sense. And uh, one of those things in the baseball draft that you have to worry about uh, versus other, which is other sports. So it definitely becomes more of a uh, managing process. Well, uh, Matt, is there anything else you want to get out there? Uh, please do go ahead and do that. And if not, please plug, plugs plug, plug your stuff, plug your Twitter, and I'll tell people where they can find your stuff.
1: Uh, my Twitter is Matt Powers, thirty one at well, just at Matt Powers thirty one, and you can expect to maybe find a couple interesting prospects tomorrow rounds 11, 12, 13, because the Braves will have a free $100,000 that's free from the bonus pool restrictions that they can give to a player. It's once you hit $100,001 where it starts to count into the bonus pools, so you might see them take a chance there.
0: Yeah, that's something definitely to monitor uh, closely, and uh, I'm sure Road to Atlanta. Will be breaking these guys down as well, and we'll we'll touch on it a little bit more uh, next week on the podcast. But I wanted to at least get out in front of this thing as it was going on. I really appreciate your flexibility. Uh, go back and uh, grind for Talking Shop, and uh, please everybody else go follow uh, follow Matt. He's doing great work uh, as well as all of our prospect guys on the draft. So thanks for coming on Matt. Thanks for having me. Uh, as for everybody else, we'll be back again uh, next week, so stay tuned for that.